You are listening to the Soar Above Cancer podcast, episode 138, The Magic of Storytelling, our chat with Janelle Lamontagne with your hosts, Gabrielle and Alex. Hello, fellow cancer thrivers. Welcome to this week's episode of the Soar Above Cancer podcast, a podcast dedicated to finding the strength to not only survive a cancer diagnosis, but thrive at living one's life with cancer. So we met Janelle a, f- a few years ago, I think at this point, at least a year ago. And uh, we've actually been able to see her quite a few times since as well. So we're very happy to have her on the podcast to talk about all of the, her experiences with cancer, everything that, the wisdom, I guess, that came out of those, that experience and really get to share with you some of the chats that we've had with her over the years, which for me, are always super valuable. I love chatting with Janelle, so I'm really happy to have her on the podcast. So our hardest question is our first question, and it is, who is Janelle? That is a very hard question. (laughs) Um, And the answer I would have given you three years ago is so different than the answer I'm going to give you today. Um, Three years ago, I would instantly go into... I'm Janelle, I'm 29 at that time, and I work as a speech pathologist because that was my whole identity. Um, now, three years later, I identify less as my profession and more as a person. So I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm an animal lover. I, yeah, I work, I do continue to work as a speech language pathologist in a profession that I absolutely love in acute care. Um, but there are a lot of other facets, facets to my life now. So I enjoy traveling. I'm an avid traveler. Um, yeah. That's great. And I think everything that we'll be talking about today, it really changes your perspective on your own life and how you describe yourself initially when meeting someone. And I, we, found, we've, we found a lot of that while interviewing as well. So touching on that, Janelle, tell us a little bit more about your cancer experience. Okay. So I was diagnosed at 29 with anaplastic astrocytoma, so a type of brain cancer. It's high grade, grade three. Um, The diagnosis came completely out of the blue. I had zero symptoms. I was feeling well. Um, All that happened was I have... uh, genetic, well, not even a genetic, an acquired bleeding disorder. Mm -hmm. And so I would bruise um, fairly consistently. So at one point I was covered with bruises. The doctors gave me a treatment. I reacted to the treatment with a severe migraine because I had had some spontaneous bleeding. The doctors were worried about uh, brain hemorrhage. Mm -hmm. So they sent me for a CT scan and they found a completely unrelated brain tumor. So it was a series of unfortunate events that actually turned out to be the best thing that ever could have happened to me in terms of finding the cancer before it spread further or had more impact on my health. Wow. Three years ago. So what what has happened between the diagnosis and now? Um, it's been a whirlwind, to be honest. Um, so I was diagnosed on May 10th, 2017, with a brain tumor. At first, they thought it was low grade. 
Um, so met with the neurosurgeon and he recommended an awake craniotomy. So I had a 10 hour brain surgery while being awake, which was quite interesting, the whole experience. And then uh, that was June 29th. And then in August, I started six weeks of radiation with concurrent chemo, followed by another uh, 12 months, uh, one week on, three weeks off of chemo. Wow. Wow. I'm curious really as well, when obviously you're going in to the hospital or to the doctors for one thing and you're focused mentally on dealing with one issue and then the idea of cancer pops up completely out of nowhere. What's that reaction like and and how do you kind of manage that when that first is brought up to you? I was completely blindsided. So what happened was, is when I went for the CT scan, so I was in the ER and I was sent to the ER for pain management for the migraine. And then my doctor decided he wanted a CT scan. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting there and I work in the hospital. So Mm -hmm. it's, um, I have all the nurses who are friends there with me and they sent me for the CT scan and I came out and it was about 10 minutes later and they came back and they're like, we need to take you for another CT scan with infusion. Instantly. I'm like, okay, my brain's hemorrhaging. And then I start going through the statistics because I work with that population. So I'm like, okay, if I survive it, the outcomes are good. If I don't like, it's one of those things. Like if you live through it, then the outcomes are good. um, And there shouldn't be any residual effects. So then when the neurologist came back and was like, no, you actually have a mass in your brain. I was like, what? Like I was prepared for a totally different answer. And yeah, I just, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You hadn't prepared those statistics. No. In your head. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious because you, you started the podcast by saying that um, three years ago you were identifying as a speech language pathologist and how that has changed. You don't necessarily lead with that anymore, but you still work within a population and within a setting where you are also considered a patient or receiving care. So how has your experience with cancer impacted your, your job and how you, your career, how you, you perform? That's a really good question. Um, I find, I honestly believe that it's made me so much better of a clinician Um, I always think that I was empathetic and that I tried to look at things from the patient perspective, but now I have a whole new level of insight into that. And it's really changed the way I practice. Um, I could kick myself for some of the things I used to say to my cancer patients before, like, and with good intentions before I was diagnosed. I used the stereotypical phrases like, okay, just stay positive and, you know, lean on your family. Your family wants to help. But when you're a cancer patient, there's so much guilt with putting your family through everything that now I'm like, okay, I'm just going to listen. I'm not going to try and give any of that stereotypical advice. And it's really made me focus on um, more what the patient wants versus what the healthcare team deems is best for them. So I usually start 
like all my sessions with, okay, I have like a really big question to ask you. What matters to you? What is your goal? And I find I get a lot better results that way. Mm. Yeah, that's so it sounds like in in a way it, it helped in a regard like to look at it, I guess, from a positive light in your in your role. And in that same vein, do you find that you enjoy your job more now that you've gone through what you've gone through? Has it changed at all? Yes, um, yeah. <laughs> I took it for granted. So when I was going through treatment, I was off work for 18 months. And that was so hard because my identity was my work. I didn't know who I was when I was away from work. And I had to really do a lot of self-discovery because I was like, I have nothing really other than work. So um, it was hard to find a balance going back, but it's, I definitely enjoy it more. I don't take it for granted. I find I have more meaningful relationships with my coworkers and my patients and everyone else. I love asking other healthcare professionals who have that dual experience, what it means. Cause I completely agree with you. It changes the way you practice entirely and it adds a level of empathy to your work that wasn't necessarily there before. Yes. I'm curious. I often see message or posts from you around the brain cancer awareness piece. And it seems to be quite important for you. So can you speak on, on that a little bit? Sure. Um, so brain cancer is one of the most, um, I don't know how, it's not recognized or researched as much as different types of cancer are. There are 120 different types of brain tumors, over 120 different types of brain tumors, and 27 people are diagnosed a day with brain tumors in Canada, but it gets very little funding for research. Um, And overall, the statistics, the prognosis hasn't really changed in the last few years. It's It's kind of similar to young adults with cancer. It's not necessarily getting the same amount of recognition and research as other types. So um, when I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed May 10th. My craniotomy was June 29th. I did my first brain tumor walk on June 24th. So, um, and I've been involved ever since. So this year it's a little bit different because you can't, with COVID, you can't get together and do the annual brain tumor walk. So it's a virtual brain tumor walk this year. And we're just supposed to do as much as we can before June 27th. So my goal that I've set for myself is for the month of June, I'm going to purposefully, not just walking during work, but purposefully walk 100 kilometers prior to June 27th, just to raise awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up as well. The fact that there's, and this is obviously the truth, but there's so many different types of brain tumors. I find that when I often speak with individuals diagnosed with brain cancer, every story is a little different. Every experience is completely different. And I honestly didn't even know how different certain things could be. So I find when I listen to certain stories, I'm actually interested or, or you know, not, I'm surprised that to see that there's all this different side of things. So I, I, it's nice to see the awareness piece on your end. And obviously going through it yourself, you know, a little bit more than, than the average person, but it's nice to hear that piece as well. 
I'm actually curious, and this is sort of a random question, but it's one that I thought prior to our interview. Every conversation I find that I have with you, Janelle, is you seem to have this trait and the skill that a lot of people these days don't really have. And I think it's active listening. And maybe it's because of your, your role. Uh, but I find that if we've had like a session or a one-on-one or training, I'll look at you and like, you can tell that you're interested in what is going on and you're listening very directly. And it seems like you're actually caring about what people have to say. Do you find that you've always maybe had that trait or has maybe cancer made change that a little bit or made that perspective change a little? I think, um, I think I've always had the trait to a certain extent. Um, but it's, I think cancer has amplified it. Mm -hmm. Um, I know how important my story is to me and how sharing my story, how that, how important that is to me. So I try to give other people the same amount of respect when they're sharing their stories. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that answers your question. No, that's great. That's great. I didn't know where to take it. I just knew that (laughs) it was often I'd look over and I'm like, Janelle's really listening and it's nice (laughs) to see. So just figured I'd bring that up. Well, thank you. Yes, I do agree with what you you said, Alex. You are someone who really listens in a beautiful way. Like you're actually present and that's very rare today. Only a handful of people in my life are able to do that. And that's quite quite valuable for the people that get to share those stories with you for sure. Yeah. I'm curious because it's your time to share your story and we want to <laughs> hear your voice today. What is maybe one or two core messages that you typically like to share with others within a story or just overall? Okay. Um, the big one I think is where when you're diagnosed with cancer, you're bombarded with statistics and outcomes and prognoses and all these crazy, horrible words like terminal and, mm. I I was told three years ago that I had three to five years to live with my type of cancer. And three years later, there's no, shot, no sign at all of the cancer recurring. So I think my biggest message is what Jeff from Yak always says. Statistics are only an accurate representation of the past. They are not necessarily an accurate representation of the future. So that's a huge message for me because I think we can get bogged down with all the statistics and all the research out there is at least 10 years old by the time you get the statistics. So treatments have changed and I think I think we just have to keep in mind that we there's only one of us. Our genetics are different from everyone else and we can't buy into all those prognoses, I think is like the biggest message because I fell into that trap. So, um, and it's hard, but it, it gets easier. Yeah. I think to, to some extent, everyone diagnosed with cancer at some point looks at the, the statistics and, and thinks about them. And eventually if you can find a way to push past it, it's a great quote that you had mentioned, Jeff often says. So it's great to share that. 
I think one topic we really wanted to bring up as well is, is gratitude. It seems like when you're posting on Facebook or when you're discussing things or writing blogs, you have a lot of gratitude. Maybe touch a little bit on, on how cancer's really just made you a little bit more grateful of what you do have and what you are going through. Cancer puts everything into perspective. It makes you look at the big picture. So I know me pre-cancer, I would get upset about stupid little things. And now it's like, am I, go- I ask myself the question, am I going to remember this a year from now, this moment? Am I going to remember this moment? And if I'm not, then there's no point in getting upset. Um, I think you can always find things to be grateful for. And on my worst days, sometimes I was only grateful for getting the card at Walmart that didn't have the screwy wheel. You can like, that's the extent of it. Sometimes you can just find things. And um, I think we have to be careful that, you know, it is okay to accept that, you know what, some days you're going to not feel very grateful for things. And you're not going to be very happy. And that's okay, too, because we have to be able to experience those emotions as well. But I think if we look hard enough, there is something good every day. I agree. Sometimes I find that just being grateful that you were able to sit with that emotion or that you were able to give yourself a little bit of space to experience that difficult emotion is something to be grateful for. Like on days where nothing seems to be good. Um, Just the fact that you're giving that space to yourself is quite an achievement. So Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. I, I saw a post and I don't know if (laughs) you'll want to share publicly like this, but (laughs) you you posted a few weeks ago about the gray hair. And I'm wondering (laughs) if you can tell that story here, because I really liked that post. Well, I've, with COVID, I haven't had my hair colored since January 22nd. I know it's to the date. And I have a lot of gray hair coming. And I think before I would have been upset about all the white and the gray in my hair, because it means I'm getting older. I'm 32 now. And, but I'm actually grateful for every gray hair because it's life lived. It's, signs that you know I am aging I am getting older aging is a gift and I know that's cliche to say but it's it truly is a gift to get older Mm -hmm. and if I understood correctly there was also a chance that your hair wasn't going to grow back after radiation so that as well is something that you have that you weren't that it wasn't certain that you would ever be able to to showcase exactly Exactly. Yeah. Um, radiation pretty much fried all the hair follicles. So I had some really interesting hair growth patterns for a while. And now I'm very fortunate that I have all my hair back. Yeah, that's great. I, I found the same thing. And it's funny you brought up the idea of knowing the date. I know my last haircut was February 23rd of this year. And I, every morning waking up and like trying to comb it and it's not moving and you get frustrated. I have, I want to get a haircut. And then I think, well, I didn't have hair like three years ago. So why should I be ungrateful for having more of it now? 
it really, really puts all of that into perspective. So I'm glad that you shared that. And it's funny that you have the statistic of the day up because I'm the same. <laughs> those statistics are good. <laughs> oh, those yeah. are fair. Yeah, you should know that. Um, I'm curious, you know, I mean, and we ask all of our guests this question, especially now. How have you been bi- keeping busy really throughout this quarantine period? Oh, um, honestly, I spend a lot of time walking my dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, all my family is in Saskatchewan. And because of working in healthcare and because of COVID, um, we're not allowed to cross the border without... Um, if I were to come back to Manitoba after going to Saskatchewan, I'd have to quarantine for 14 days. And that means 14 days unpaid off work. Mm-hmm. So um, I haven't been able to see my family uh, since all this started. So that was back in, I think, February that I saw them. Yeah. So I spend more time FaceTiming everybody. And same with friends. Um, and then yeah, I walk my dogs a lot for <laughs> <Poor> things. <laughs> yeah. They must be happy. Yeah, I hope it. so. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, um, actually, I find as well, sorry to cut you off, Gabrielle, that's, that's that's I, okay. it, it's interesting because I'm wondering how dogs actually feel in this time frame because I feel like often, you know, their owners get home, they're really excited to see their owners home. But now that their owners are home so much more often, you wonder if they think, okay, like it's enough. You got to get out of this house too. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think they're getting more spoiled than anything. And it's going to be a rude awakening when the world opens up again. (laughs) It's a fair point too. Yeah. But you must be going to work. Yes. I've been working full time throughout all Mm -hmm. of this. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Another question that we'd like to ask our guests is if – you were talking to someone who might be having a bit more of a difficult time or was newly diagnosed with cancer. What would you share with them? One, two, three things that you would like to share with them to, yeah, that you would have liked, I guess, for someone else to share with you. Um, I think the big one I like to share is that you don't have to be a hero and that's something that when I was diagnosed, um, a coworker of mine had recently been diagnosed with cancer. And that was the first thing he told me was, don't be a hero. If you need more nausea meds, ask for them. You don't have to be the stereotypical inspirational cancer patient all the time. You can have bad days. Um, so that's a big one, I think. Another thing I wish someone would have told me is make sure you take care of your mental health. Mm. I, I tried to be the inspirational cancer patient and I was like, no, I'm fine. I'm good. Yeah. I'm sad sometimes, but it's situational. And I ended up, I think, what was it? It was about a year and a half into my cancer experience before I actually acknowledged, no, you know what, my mental health isn't that great. And then I started seeing a psychologist and counselors and it made a world of difference. So I would recommend that people start that process a little bit earlier because I was doing a lot of unhealthy avoidance techniques and things like that. Um, Just by like 
my avoidance techniques weren't by like drugs or alcohol or anything like that, but I would just travel. <laughs> and that's not real life either. Like mm -hmm. I would travel once a month going through treatment just as an escape from the real world. So I got to see a lot of good things, but <laughs> it wasn't the best. There's worse, but there, it wasn't the best coping technique. Yeah. Yeah, we, I love that though. That's something we really advocate for on the podcast. It's like a real big staple is is you have to take care of your mental health. I think what the one silver lining to a cancer diagnosis, and I think that is made more clear because you go through so much that it's all, it gets to a point where you almost don't have a choice. You feel like, you know what, this is one thing I really need to take care of. I think it's really good to try and advocate for even for individuals going through everyday life and who maybe haven't had to experience this because everyone has something they go through. And it's, I know, I mean, speaking for myself, it's just made a world of a difference, like you said, going through what we went through. Yeah. And I was fortunate because my, um, my doctors were phenomenal and every appointment I'd go to with my family doctor, he'd be like, okay, how are you? And I would say, I'm good. He's like, no, how are you mentally and emotionally? Yeah. And I just kept saying, I'm good. And then it got to the point where I went to see him one day and I brought it up and I'm like, I'm not okay. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I've been waiting for you to say that. Mm -hmm. He knew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a matter of time. Yeah. yeah. One question, at least that will try and not even lighten the mood, but something interesting. I feel like I'm waiting to ask is you traveled a lot. So what is one or two of your favorite places that you've traveled throughout treatment or just in general? Okay. Um, my favorite city I've ever been to is San Francisco. Mm, okay. I love San Francisco. I would go back in a heartbeat. Um, and that was actually something I did with my, one of my best friends during treatment is wow. it was our it, birthdays and bucket lists travel okay. because it was for her 30th birthday and my bucket list so we went to san francisco for six days together um and it was incredible um i also oh quite a few years ago about 11 years ago now i spent a month in brazil and oh, wow. that's brazil's an amazing country it's just gorgeous mm -hmm. awesome i love that and you were saying earlier that throughout treatments, like you were one week on, three weeks off, and you were traveling every month for a week, I guess? Yeah, sometimes it was like four days, or but I tried to take, it just happened that I took a trip pretty much every month. And that for like 12 months almost. Yeah. Wow. That's, awesome. that's amazing. <laughs> Some of them weren't huge trips. That's okay. But I went to, yeah, San Francisco. I went to Boston. Um, I went, yeah, just Vegas. Just, yeah. <laughs> just a few places. That's great. That's so much fun. Gabrielle and I have our good friend Janelle on the podcast today. We do really appreciate having her on to discuss her cancer experience, brain tumor awareness, her role in uh, speech, speech pathology and how cancer has changed her perspective on things and made her really enjoy her job more than she may have used to, even though she probably enjoys it. Because to me, it sounds like an extremely rewarding and an interesting job. 
And at the end of the day, we discuss some of her coping mechanisms, the idea of mental health, the gratitude piece, and all encompassing her cancer experience. And traveling really at the end of the day is a great method uh, to take on if you have the ability throughout your treatment. So once again, really thank you, at least for myself and Gabrielle Janelle for coming on. It's always genuinely a pleasure to speak with you. It's always easy to speak with you. And it was great speaking with you today as well. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So this does end episode 138, The Magic of Storytelling, a chat with Janelle. And a big thank you to you, our listeners. We are so grateful that you keep showing up for us and showing up for our guests. So before you go, if you have any questions, comments, if you would like to be in Janelle's place in a future episode, if you would like to be on the podcast, please do reach out to us. The details are in the show notes. Many smiles to you and see you next week.